0: Welcome to MIT Talks. I'm Vita Bilkis. And I'm Bena Attar. MIT Talks set out to bring you the stories that shape the people of MIT. And I'm Sarah Trice. As the co-host of MIT Talks, we go behind the scenes with some of the most influential members of the MIT community, past and present, to dig deeper into their unique and inspiring journeys. So tune in, listen, learn, and grow. This is MIT Talks.
1: But at Spatiometrics, our vision is really to create a future in which every building makes us healthier.
0: You are listening to the MIT Talks podcast. This is your host, Dana Attar. In today's episode, we will be talking to Spatiometrics co-founders Sunil Sines and Jim Perino. SpatioMetrics was founded to bridge the gap between design, data, and human performance. Sunil is the co-founder and CEO at SpatioMetrics. Prior to co-founding Spatio, she took several data products to market both at the consumer wellness software company, MyFitnessPal, and in the payments industry. Sunil has an MBA from MIT Sloan. And has been a guest lecturer for the MIT Martin Trust Center Entrepreneurship Certificate Courses. Jim Prino is the co-founder and CTO at Spatiometrics. Prior to co-founding Spatiometrics, Jim worked at Mass Design Group, and his project have included hospitals, workplaces, and residential buildings across the world. He holds a Master of Architecture from Harvard GSD. An MS in computer science from MIT, where his research focused on leveraging machine learning and data visualization to understand relationships between architecture and health outcomes. Today, I'm delighted to share with you their exciting personal journey and work in creating buildings that make us all healthier. Sunil and Jim, welcome to MIT Talks. Yeah, thanks for having us. Could you tell me first, how can buildings make us healthier?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So right now we're seeing an increased focus on, on health in buildings because of a really acute need for infection control, um, for ensuring that our buildings allow for people to stay six feet apart as they move throughout a space. But it's really something that's been well documented for a while, that architecture affects our health in so many other day-to-day ways it can affect our mental health. You know, how much access to daylight do we have and how, how well does a building allow us to get access to it? It can support kind of critical activities like in a hospital, how visible a patient is from a nurse station can affect actually patient mortality rates or how quick someone can recover. And it also in just myriad ways provides different nudges that can really encourage or discourage healthy behavior. So, you know, we're more likely to wash our hands if we walk past a sink than if we have to go out of the way to, to find one. And you know, we're more likely to, to take a well-located staircase than an elevator if it's, if it's put someplace where there's those kind of nudges. So there are lots of kind of little ways that can range from you know, minor to really consequential in cases of acute care settings.
0: What's your connection to MIT and how did you end up in this space?
1: Yeah, so it's it's really a tale of of two founders. Jim and I were kind of circling themes that overlapped and and we're very lucky to have met in a way that could only happen on the MIT campus. So I personally started my career in the payments industry and I was really focused on product development and innovation and wanted to take that skill set and apply it to health and wellness, which was a vertical I was very passionate about. So to help me make that transition, I went back to school and got an MBA at M- through MIT Sloan and transferred those skills to most recently um, serve as a product manager at MyFitnessPal and throughout my career, I have, you know, worked to build and launch data products throughout and have really seen kind of firsthand the power of data and how it can inform people's decisions about things like nutrition or fitness. But I was really intrigued by how there really wasn't that type of reliable feedback loop for other social determinants of health. So while I was at MIT, I was really kind of exploring how we can create positive feedback loops for things like the physical environment that we surround ourselves with every day. And uh, that's when I met Jim on campus.
2: Yeah. So I'm, I'm a licensed architect by training. I practiced for a while, mostly designing hospitals, but then kind of also going back after the fact to assess how are they performing? Were they helping doctors deliver high quality care? Were they improving patient recovery rates? And even though there is so much data on the healthcare side, there just isn't that data on the architectural side. And it's really frustrating because if there was, then we could learn about how architecture is affecting our health and, and make much more precision um, interventions. And so my path to MIT was to, I, I wanted to kind of supplement this architectural skill set with that of computer science, data science, and so came to focus on how can we generate these data sets and how can we make them actionable. And as, as Sonal met, we were, we were really lucky to be part of the um, MIT DesignX community, which, which is really how we met through that process.
0: That's such a good story, and it is definitely an MIT story. <laughs> yes. <laughs> So then let's talk a little bit, maybe share with us more about your uh, Spatiometrics business overall. So who typically is your targeted clients that you will go for?
1: Yeah, sure. So yeah, we'll kind of start with an overview of Spatiometrics and then we can get into the customer um, and why it's important for them. But at Spatiometrics, our vision is really to create a future in which every building makes us healthier. And our way of accomplishing this is really by creating B2B software that analyzes floor plans to help architects measure the ways in which they can better design healthier and more productive spaces. So... Whether that's a hospital like we've been talking about, whether that's an office, really any type of real estate in which we know human health and well-being will affect an organization's performance. So to that end, we primarily serve architects and enable them to really understand the, their design choices and the ways in which their floor plans are going to affect the way that people move around and operate within a space once it's kind of alive and well and running. We really started Spatio to address that reality that design choices affect people's health and well-being. And we know that during the design process, there are a lot of uncertainties of how that plays out. And so Jim and I kind of put our heads together and we really kind of set out to solve this data gap. And we realized that data can bridge this kind of knowledge gap and capture characteristics about a layout and inform the ways that people will operate and interact in a space. But for designers to have these kind of insights at the ready in a structured interpretable way is really complex. And it's also really expensive to incorporate into the design process. So we set out to create products kind of as out-of-the-box ways to incorporate data and metrics into the design process and help not only architects, but of course their clients with making design decisions that align their physical spaces to their organizational goals.
2: Absolutely, yeah. Having practice in the architecture firm, that's kind of what a lot of the, that's where the tasks are that we aspire to do is to, to sit down and spend the time to calculate every travel distance and every kind of visibility from a patient room to a nurse station. The fact of the matter is it just gets, there's mental overload. There's, um, it, it takes too much time. It becomes too expensive to do it. All, all over the place. So it's, it's a, a kind of a pattern that we see, but it's, it's really just not taken full advantage of. Um, and that's, that's what we're trying to help with.
0: Considering that there are others out there that are collecting data and utilizing it to better understand the space and how people move within uh, these spaces effectively, can you share with us what sets you apart?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think there are Three main things, you know, one is the unique data set. We're, we're generating, there's a lot of data within the architecture industry, but it's it really focuses on the walls of the building rather than the kind of the components of how things come together rather than what the end result is. So by really focusing on the qualitative aspects of the built environment that affect our health and well-being, that's our first differentiator. The second is how we make this data interpretable and actionable. So we're we're putting it at the fingertips of architects, we're we're doing these analyses pulling out summary statistics that can be benchmarks across projects, and then also generating visualizations that make it really clear and easy for architects to communicate um, what they're finding with their, their customers. So kind of give a clarity to it, to their, to their customers. The third thing is that we're really focused on outcomes. So by generating architectural data so that it's structured, consistent, it allows us to then bridge the gap between other outcomes that people care about. So health outcomes like patient mortality rates, readmission rates, recovery rates, patient satisfaction scores, we're generating data that speaks the same language to those so that we can use data science techniques, machine learning techniques to to mine for insights in that data.
0: This is exciting. Based on my experience, there's a lot of measurable data being collected. However, I see little so far in terms of translating it into deliverables and measurable outcomes. Mm
1: -hmm. And I think that's a great point, Then I think the problem that we're addressing isn't just necessarily focused on one Persona, right? We're really focusing on architects to begin with because they have the power and influence to affect design kind of in its mm-hmm. most formable state. But really, this is, this is industry-wide, right? So on one side, you have architects that don't have a consistent way of predicting how their design choices is going to affect their clients' designs and outcomes. On the other hand, you have architecture clients. So basically building owners or tenants that can't therefore leverage space to their fullest potential, right? They're not able to achieve their organizational goals because they're not having the building work for them instead of the other way around. And at the end of the day, the occupants, you know, employees, patients, you know, whoever may be actually interacting in the space are less healthy, productive, and collaborative as a result. So I think it's a really important point that you bring up that this is kind of an industry problem of not having, you know, quantitative, reliable standards to measure these concepts. Um, And that's really what we're passionate about solving.
0: Your business idea was born to support the healthcare setting. However, considering how difficult it has been uh, for us in this past year with the pandemic, how has that changed your vision of your product, if any?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So as you mentioned, yes, we got our start in healthcare, um, primarily not just because of our backgrounds as founders, but also because the human and financial stakes of design are so intertwined in healthcare. Mm -hmm. Um, Designing hospitals to improve health outcomes is is directly tied to the the quadruple aim of healthcare, right? So we've been very fortunate to work with not only healthcare architects, but also some of the top US health institutions across the country to really inform the design of their hospital facilities. And yeah, as you may imagine, in the wake of COVID-19, a number of our partners, came to us and said, we really want to leverage this expertise of health and buildings and apply it to all the challenges that people are facing, specifically in return to office all of a sudden, you know, kind of clinical grade things like infection control, as Jim was mentioning, is really, really important and applicable to areas outside of a hospital. So we actually, you know, kind of responded to the call. We worked with our partners to iterate and leverage our core technology of being able to measure these characteristics and apply it to the return to office movement. And so now we're very excited to not only have an open source tool that's out there for designers to be able to manage and improve spaces for social distancing, but we've kind of built um, a holistic co- COVID-19 diagnostic to really help offices and business leaders understand what is working and what's not working in their space and identify the spatial risks that we know are so important when it comes to controlling things like the transmission of COVID-19. Building on that, where would you like to take spatiometrics next? Yeah. So as I mentioned, we've been very, very fortunate to get fantastic feedback from our beta testers and our early customers. And we're really focused on kind of incorporating those improvements into our future web app. And The journey has really been supported throughout the MIT community. I know Jim mentioned the MIT DesignX Accelerator we went through. We were very fortunate, as you mentioned, to have been part of Delta V. We participated in the MIT 100K competition. And of course, Sandbox has been with us since day one. Um, And we're also finalists in the Mass Challenge program outside of MIT as well. So um, with all of that, we're, we're focused on kind of the workflow gains that automation can achieve, kind of as phase one, and essentially having this data very quickly integrated into design process through our web app. But with the expansion to offices in the wake of COVID-19, we're also scaling our infrastructure to meet that rising demand, and we're going to be fundraising to support that.
0: Being an entrepreneur has its own challenges. So how do you stay focused and motivated? And any self-care advice for other entrepreneurs out there?
1: Yeah, I'm happy to start. I think every, everyone has their own medicine, if you will, right, or ways of, of coping with the stresses of the entrepreneur life. I I honestly think that Jim and I have built an amazing cadence in terms of supporting each other and making sure that, you know, we're in tune with both what we need from a, you know, how do we further space show and how do we build the company together, but also like, what do we need personally to feel fulfilled as a founder? How do we make sure that each of our days is, you know, correlating and pointing in the right direction of whatever the broader goal is? So I I really think in my case, at least, you know, the cadence that you build with your co-founder is really kind of the best type of self-care you can give yourself. And then, of course, you know, on the personal side, I think that as long as you can create structured ways to step away, you know, whether it's hobbies or exercise or, you know, cooking something interesting, that I think really helps. So um, it's really, again, built on the cadence of as co-founders to say, okay, you know, we know what we're both doing. We're moving in the same direction, but we also know when we personally need to just take a step back.
2: Yeah, I mean, I would just second what what Sonal said. I think you know when we, I think we always are. We always remark after we take a step back for whether it's a long weekend or if it's over the holidays and come back having you know read some books or kind of resituated ourselves within. Hey, what is the what is the bigger picture of what we're mm-hmm. trying to achieve and is what we're doing day to day you know achieving that or helping us work towards it? Then you can just you can just tell from our you know the way we're talking with each other that we're rejuvenated and kind of ready to, to tackle it again. So you know we try to make sure that we have that cadence and that kind of structured the uh, free time to kind of, mm-hmm. to kind of recenter and, and focus on what's important.
0: So now the final one, the questions we have, what is one book that you would think everyone should read? That's a good one.
1: So I recently read a book called The Psychology of Money. Um, it's a really easy read. You know, it, it is nonfiction. I tend to do really poorly with reading nonfiction, but um, it's, you know, a series of mini stories, if you will. And it's describing kind of the ways that people have developed relationships with money. And it's kind of in a story format, which is which makes it really approachable. And I think it doesn't matter who you are, whether you're an entrepreneur or an investor or you have career goals or, or personal goals, you have a relationship with money. And I think um, being able to read that and really understand like, why do we do what we do? And, and it's so easy to create the goals of, you know, oh, I want to be a CXO or I want to you know manage a fund of x billions of dollars, but why? And I think um, to me, that was really kind of revealing in the sense of actually establishing a cadence of of what relationship I have with money and and why I'm doing what I'm doing. Of course, it's financial and personal, but just to get clarity on kind of both of those things, so one I would recommend
2: I think one book that I kind of constantly find myself going back to is running randomized evaluations by uh, Rachel Glenister and and Kudzai Takavashara. They're here, you know, it it was out of the J-PAL, the the Poverty Action Lab here at at MIT. And they're really focused on what are the ways that we can kind of test hypotheses about, you know, are the things that we're doing to improve the world actually effective? And they put a really great structure behind how can you, you know, what are the the models behind thinking of a theory of change, of, of, you know, if you do this, then here are all the assumptions to how we get to some kind of outcome and, and give you kind of the, the way of thinking about how you can really test your assumptions and see if, if what you're doing is actually getting you there. And so I think just in terms of a book that, that really shapes the way I like to think about problems, that one has been hugely influential and always happy to kind of talk to, to other people who want to look through that.
0: Great. Two great books I may add to my list of books to read, and I hope the audience will as well. Next, I wanted to ask you if you are to use one word to describe your past, present, and future, what would that be?
2: I don't know. I mean, I I, th- I think being in in this kind of focused setting of working on a a startup, I th- I think maybe the past is around curiosity. Present is around focus. I think you know there, there's just kind of by necessity. Not not to say that curiosity is gone, but being able to focus on something and really just get that done. And I, you know, I think future again. I guess is, I hope is is curiosity again of of being able to kind of go back and forth along that that cycle of those two. I guess.
1: I love that. I think especially like the curiosity doesn't go away, but I do think that there's a lot of curiosities that you form prior to becoming a founder that kind of play out right when you when you create something. And I think. If I look back, I think a lot of my time in my early 20s was focused on direction, you know, just building the platform to gain experience, to to have experiences both personally and professionally, and kind of just start building momentum, if you will, in a, in, in a direction. I think, you know, I absolutely agree with Jim. I think the present is just, it's about learning, and it's a learning in a very focused, structured way, but I'm learning about myself, I'm learning about how to run a business, you know, all aspects of it, from strategy and vision all the way to being the... The janitor, essentially. So I think there's a lot of excitement with the different types of learning that are happening in real time, and I think future, I, I kind of think of it as sharing. You know, you you get to share the learnings that you have as an early stage founder in the form of kind of sharing your company and, and growing your company accordingly. But I think also, you know, I've benefited a lot personally just from from sharing and as people kind of build up their experiences, um, trying to focus more on telling the stories and sharing those and getting those out to people that find it helpful. And making sure that you're that you're
0: not just learning and
1: kind of stuck in that that quiet rut but you're actually able to, to
0: share it with the world. And to our final question is what would you rather have a library full of books or a contact list full of names?
2: I mean I, I think people are really good at recommending good books so I don't I, I guess that's cheating a little bit but I, I you know I think best of both worlds on that front.
1: I think I would naively have to say a list of contacts it, I, I'm an extrovert by nature, but I also think I learn so much better through other people than by being given a, you know, a do-it-yourself or a self-help book. I, I, I like to learn from others, and I think that's just works for me, and it's how I'm wired. So would definitely pick the context as well. That's great. I wish you best
0: of luck, and thank you for uh, being on the podcast. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for joining us for another inspiring episode of MIT Talks.
1: We would love to hear from you, our listeners. Engage with us at MIT Club of Boston's website or any of our social media channels. Please send us your
0: ideas for future podcast guests or reach out to further the conversation with your awesome co-hosts. Thank you for listening to the MIT Talks.